1: I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Today's guest, John Chambers, went from being a dyslexic kid from West Virginia to one of the world's most successful business leaders. In his new book, Connecting the Dots, John shares leadership principles that have helped him outmaneuver competitors to grow a multi-billion dollar company. John is a former executive chairman and CEO at Cisco, where he served as a company's global leader for more than two decades. He has worked closely with government leaders from around the world, and he served on committees for two U.S. presidents, earning the first-ever Clinton Global Citizen Award, as well as the Woodrow Wilson Award for Corporate Citizenship. In 2016, he received the Edison Achievement Award. Harvard Business Review named him one of the best-performing CEOs in the world, and he was named Best Boss in America by 2020. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: John, it's going to be a pleasure, and thank you very much.
1: So, John, listening to that bio, it's amazing everything that you have accomplished. You went from being a dyslexic kid to a world leader in business. Let's start in the beginning. What was your childhood like?
0: Well, I was very fortunate. I had two parents who were doctors. Uh, My mom broke a lot of the gender barriers in terms of valedictorian University School, uh, an athlete, uh, a woman doctor, which at that time was rather unusual. And they had dual career paths where each one watched out for the other one. She taught me the emotional uh, connection side, and my dad was an unusually good business leader. Most doctors are notoriously not good at business, mm-hmm. but he taught me a lot about seeing around the corners and getting transitions right. Growing up in West Virginia, I almost drowned when I was six years old, and this kind of teaches you about my parents. Uh, I got, was fishing with my dad, and I got swept away in the rapids, and he had told me not to get to it near the edge of the rocks, and I fell in. And it was at a place where people had drowned and one did later in life that I actually knew. And as I was going through the rapids, he started to chase me down the side of the uh, river yelling, hold on to the fishing pole, hold on to the fishing pole. And and clearly each time I got my head above water, he was still yelling at me to hold on to the fishing pole. It's an ugly fishing pole, maybe cost $5, black, et cetera. But if, if he was concerned about the fishing pole, I held on to it with both hands and he got a couple hundred yards below me. Swam out and got me and pulled me to the side. And he taught me at that time one of the most important lessons in life is when you're caught up in a period that is really challenging or even life threatening, importance not to panic, stay very focused on what you're doing, don't try to swim against the tide or against the current, uh, and then just work your way over to the side. And then at six years old, he didn't tell mom this. He put me back in the water and and let me swim it on my own. And uh, he taught me so much about life and lessons. And West Virginia was the top state in the union in terms of the chemical industry, top in coal mining. And we got disrupted and fell to one of the bottom states. So I also learned in West Virginia what happens if you don't change, disrupt or be disrupted, if you will.
1: John, how do you think that that lesson impacted the way you handled situations throughout your career?
0: Oh, it's huge, John. Basically, most of the time, my wife would say almost all the time, uh, when something really challenging happens, I don't overreact to it. I'm realistic on how much of it was self-inflicted and how much of it was market-driven. I then plan for how long it's going to last and how do you react to it, paint the picture of what we look like when we come out of it, then communicate appropriately to the constituencies, whether it's shareholders, employees, the market, customers, et cetera. So I'm a believer in an innovation playbook and life's experience teach you how to deal with it. I'm also a dyslexic, and once you overcome major challenges in life, first, you never laugh about anybody else, uh, but secondly, you learn how to take a weakness and potentially make it a strength, and so it impacts you in a major way. Uh, and it has to do with what you talk about all the time. It's change your attitude and, and change your life. If you have the courage to deal with your challenges and learn you can do it, then you know how to deal with the challenges in the future.
1: So, John, when you joined Cisco, the company had 400 employees and one product, $1.2 billion in revenue. When you left 20 years later, it was a multinational tech conglomerate with revenues of $47 billion, and it was a leader in areas from cybersecurity to self-driving cars. You turned more than 10,000 employees into millionaires, more than any company in history. So everything that you've been describing to this point, was that your philosophy for reinvention?
0: It was. It, it, it has to go that if you watch what happens in West Virginia where we didn't change, and wonderful people, and I'm still very much committed to this state and trying to help them become a startup state, but because we didn't change, we got left behind. And it happened in Boston. Route 128 around Boston used to be the high-tech center of the world. We couldn't even spell Silicon Valley. And yet the mini-computer industry got completely destroyed, and companies like Wang and and Data General and DEC with 40,000 to 110,000 employees vanished. So it's taught me in life that you have to identify market transitions, especially when they're combined with technology, and they wait for no one. But it also taught me that if you see them coming and you have the courage to be bold and realize with that you're going to fail periodically, there's almost nothing you can't achieve. So deeply embedded in what helped lead Cisco and to take a company from seventy million in sales to forty eight billion was was a real rush and and to share the success both with the employees and our shareholders and to win almost every corporate social responsibility award there there was from both Democratic administrations of Clinton, Obama, and Republican administrations of uh, Condi Rice, Secretary of State with President Bush, uh, we, we basically, I think, did a very good job on both the business front, but also on the corporate social responsibility giving back front, which I know you're a huge believer in as well, Joan. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and, and John, you say that the winners won't be the biggest or the richest players, but the ones who can connect the dots, what does it mean to connect the dots?
0: It's the ability to see transitions coming and then deal with them both from a positive and realistic on the challenges. So connecting the dots that your viewership would really, I think I understand, is I was on the board of Walmart and we saw Amazon coming, yet we couldn't out-execute them on combining an online world with a physical world. And in 21 years, they moved past the value of Walmart in terms of a public company. Tesla did the same thing to GM in 14 years. Uber, a car replacement, not a taxi cab, but a shared asset replacement for automobile purchases, moved past GM in seven years. 21, 14, 7, they're going to get tighter. And so you've got to understand how quickly these changes occur and understand they wait for no one. And the major mistake you can actually make is doing the right thing for too long.
1: Because then you get stuck, and then you end up getting left behind.
0: You get left behind, and the brutality of it can be loss of job. It can be loss Mm -hmm. of the state's leadership. It can be a nation's leadership. And I think we, as a nation, are being challenged about we're no longer an innovation nation. We're not in the top 10 in the world, according to Bloomberg. And we are almost taking for granted that if we continue to do what we're doing, the right thing, that it won't result in a problem for us, when, in fact it will. Nations such as France and India, which you would have never thought of in terms of innovation, or great uh, place to do business, are blowing past us.
1: And, you know, John, I want to point out that we're talking about large corporations, but everything that you're describing can be applied to a person on any level. I started this Excellent. work, I created a company, John, when I was 43 years old after raising two children and getting divorced and going through some extensive personal losses and that's where this brand and company came from and I started it without a dime of personal investment and I've been in the black since day 1 and it has been solely because I have done the things that you have described I've I'm totally reinventing myself on a regular basis thinking outside of the box i i like to say that i'm a master of spinning gold out of straw and i think it it comes down to everything that you're describing and i and i bring that up because i want people to understand whether you're a ceo of a corporation like cisco or you're a, a single entrepreneur like myself these principles apply
0: they absolutely do and i
1: think they apply to
0: leadership period uh If you're a parent and you know this and and congratulations on raising two great kids Mm -hmm. uh, as a a single parent, that is hard to do. And the ability to really deal with your challenges in life do determine more who you are than your successes. Jack Welch taught me that uh, on it. But if you were to use the example of what I'm doing now with JC2 Ventures, I get to see every startup in the world and it is so exciting being a coach and a mentor and a strategic partner with them even more than an investor and you suddenly see a company that does secure phones that your phone could be tapped anytime uh this company has the ability to protect that and a shield capability but 17 people all of a sudden having a chance to become a major Exciting force in the security industry and watching them grow in scale. So it's that replicatable innovation playbook that I ran at Cisco, doing 180 acquisitions uh, while as CEO there, or what I did in country digitization with countries like Israel and France and uh, uh, India with the government leaders in each of those locations, or now what I'm doing in selecting the startups. And instead of doing it in a single geography, trying to do it across all of the major states in the U.S., a subset of that with a model that can work again and again. So I had the chance to, to play a small role and change the world once with the Internet and Cisco changing literally the way you work, live, learn, and play. And secondly, now doing it with startups as startup companies, startup states, startup nations, and startup world. That That is exciting and, and to the point that you're making so effectively, you've got to have the ability to dream and be bold. And you've got to be willing to disrupt yourself and get outside your comfort zone.
1: John, do you think this is a good time to start a business? I think it is a
0: very good time to start a business. But I think our government, and I used to keep government as far away as possible, has to create a much more business conducive environment. Uh, We've got so much regulations for startups. And so many hurdles going against us, including many people having very large college loans still outstanding at a time that uh, is so key. And we've got to be progressive on our immigration strategy. Startups in Fortune 500, 40% of them were founded by immigrants or uh, second generation of uh, immigrant families. Same thing with startups. So do I think it's a good time? Yes. Do I think we need to put this on steroids, and ramp it up by a factor of three to four fold. yes. And I think it requires government and business and citizens working together. We have a crisis coming at us. Mm-hmm. The high-tech industry will destroy more jobs through digitization and automation in the large companies than large companies will add. And so if you don't get the startup engine going well, we're going to leave behind a lot of America. So I think it's a good time. I think we can make it great. And I hope that my book and and being an example of this will help help others say, how do we do it on more of a scale basis?
1: So, John, you work with startups, and you've shared a few things that you think business owners need to do in order to succeed. What are some of the other biggest mistakes that you believe business owners make today?
0: Well, some of them are very basic. Uh, in the role of a business owner, regardless of whether a company's two people or 10,000 people, is you know, strategy and vision for the company, develop, recruit, and retain the leadership team to do that. Culture and communication of the above mistakes that business owners might surprise you as many of them don't understand how important culture is. You never have a strong company that lasts without a strong culture. You may like the culture, you may not, but culture is a huge component part of the success of a company, almost equivalent to strategy and vision. And I enjoy teaching that to the young companies. And then when you see the CEO, she or he get it, your eyes just get so excited that they really understand the power communications you didn't have to be a good communicator in the Jack wheelchair who was in generation in front of me. Uh, Jack was very good on vision and strategy, great with teams uh, and high expectations of the team, but not world-class in communications. Today you've got to be able to listen to social media. You've got to be able to communicate with your employees and customers. You've got to realize that the way you're communicating with your customers today probably isn't achieving their goals and you've got to have the courage to change. So Culture and communications are probably two elements that are even uh, more important.
1: John, you wrote that a friend once told you that you can't describe a company or leader as great until that person has gone through a near-death experience and come back. Why do you believe that some people are able to survive such an experience while others give up?
0: I think sometimes you survive because of your upbringing. Sometimes you survive because of your friends and family around you or even your children and how important it is that you have to get through it. And sometimes you survive just because you, you know you either disrupt or you're going to get disrupted, and you're unwilling to suffer the consequences if not. Most companies that get knocked on their tail don't get back up. Mm-hmm. That friend was actually Jack Welch, who told me during the 90s, we were just becoming the most valuable company in the world. And we created 10,000 millionaires at Cisco and shared the wealth with our employees. And our shareholders were happy. We had the best customer satisfaction in the industry. He said, John, you have a good company. I said, Jack, what does it take to have a great one? He said, a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. He called me up after the dot-com bubble of 2001. And he said, John, you now have a great company and you're now a great leader. I said, Jack, it doesn't feel like it. My shareholders are upset with me. My employees are questioning my ability to lead. Some are even saying, should I be leading Cisco, etc." And it's really painful. And he said, no, John, this was your best leadership year ever. And I said to him, Jack, you're probably the only person that's ever going to say that to me. And by the way, he was uh, mm-hmm. on it. But he was right. It's how you handle your setbacks. There, and this determines who you are as a parent, as a leader, as an individual. And all of us are going to get knocked down. The key is, can you get up? Know what knocks you down, develop your path to how you're going to do things differently so you don't get knocked down again and then go forward.
1: You know, I agree with that statement because the people that I have met through doing this work, the the ones who have been knocked down, are the ones that come back stronger. They're the ones that learn the important life lessons. So when I read that, I said, amen, because to me, that is exactly what I have learned from the years of doing this. So... Who were your role models? Who were the people that inspired you to be great? You know, it's interesting. My
0: parents clearly played a key role in it. My mom taught me the emotional side, but it—it it, there was never an ambition to be great. The, the ambition was just to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad clearly taught me to see around corners and how you work through it. It may surprise you. I've I've, I've learned so much from leaders that you're Your listeners will will recognize that leaders that were just normal people as well from the Shimon Peres out of Israel who taught me so much about leadership and leadership being lonely and how you can make a difference in peace in the Middle East by giving back and startups uh, to watching Emmanuel Macron have the courage to try to change France's direction and Prime Minister Modi uh, attempting 1.3 billion people to make India a startup nation and double the per capita income every seven to ten years all of those had a, very much an aspect in it. But where you're leading me, I agree with you, and it's one of the things I, I'm concerned about. I'm a huge believer in gender equality, and my mom taught me that, and we had 30% of our directors at Cisco being female before anybody even thought of a number like that, just because it was the right thing to do. And it's all about talent. But I think often what people miss is people willing to invest in them and people willing to be a coach and an advisor Uh, for females and it's something I I think we have to do differently you know from your background uh, it is much more difficult for a female entrepreneur to raise money than a male entrepreneur with the exact same idea and maybe only gets a third of the money funded to it and what is it 60 to 70 percent of the female leaders will tell you they do not have a advisor coach that that will spend the time with them where I had the luxury of having quite a few that help make a difference on that so I think the importance of gender equality and, and how we, we balance that, because diverse teams will beat teams that look alike. And when 54% of your population in this country uh, is college-educated female, we have to do a much better job of creating the right environment for success there.
1: John, what piece of advice would you offer to someone who's starting out?
0: Dream big and be bold. Know that you could fail and don't view failure as a, uh, a, a negative result most of the startups I invest in have failed before. I've clearly achieved more success than I ever dreamed was possible and try to give back as much as I can. But I clearly have had failures along the way and I openly talk about them. And I learned from the beginning being dyslexic, if you can overcome issues in life and you can realize you can overcome them, you can do it again and again. But if there was one concept, I think as an individual and as a nation, we need to be dreaming big again and, putting the U.S. number one in terms of innovation, putting a person on the moon again. So those are kind of my thoughts. I'm a dreamer, but I'm a believer in making dreams come true.
1: The book is Connecting the Dots, Lessons for Leadership in a Startup World. John, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway?
0: The takeaway is leadership, you can learn innovation models you can do again and again. You've got to realize if you don't change or get left behind, the worst recipe for the future is to continue to do the right thing too long. Have the courage to reinvent yourself, form relationships for life, especially with your customers, and realize that you can learn from everybody around you, build great teams.
1: John, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing some strategies to help us reinvent ourselves and win in today's world. Your insight is invaluable, and I'm so happy that you were here to share it with us. So thank you
0: it was my honor and thank you for making it so easy Uh, not bad for a person you said from New Jersey is that right?
1: (laughs) that's right every once in a while we get it right John
0: we do and uh, again, same thing for a person from West Virginia it's about (laughs) handling your challenges in life it's been fun I love the interview again thank you for you giving back
1: this is Conversations with Joan until next time thanks for tuning in